Uh, the rest of us, we are going to be kind of stepping back in time this morning as we step back into the days of Isaiah. Now in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah's days, it were dark days. Uh, Israel, things were bad in Israel and worse things were coming for Israel. It was dark days, a great darkness over the land, if you will, and it's into that darkness that Isaiah comes and he prophesies about a great hope. Let's hear about that great hope now from Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken is on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult, and every garment rolled up in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the words of the prophet Isaiah prophesied so, so many thousands of years ago. And yet, might you make these words real to us this morning. Convince us of their truth, we pray, that we might know this morning the hope of our Savior Jesus Christ come into this world. We pray this all in the matchless name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard it or not, but there is a rendition of Silent Night done by Simon and Garfunkel. I'm sure we have a lot of Simon and Garfunkel fans. But it's really interesting if you listen to it. I encourage you to. It starts out as like this beautiful duet. But then you start hearing something coming in in the background of the song. And you can't quite make it out at first, but then it keeps getting louder and louder. And then you begin to understand what it is. They're singing this beautiful rendition of of Silent Night. At the same time, there's an evening newscast slowly being turned up. A newscast telling about the death of a comedian, about the march of of Martin Luther King and the need to to send out the National Guard, the murder of of nine nurses, of anti-Vietnam War protests, and it goes on, slowly increasing in volume as they're singing Silent Night. Now, what exactly they meant by this song, I don't know. But isn't it kind of a picture of the world in which we live? Tonight, we're going to gather here, and this isn't a spoiler. We're going to gather here, and we're going to have our candles lit, and the last song we're going to sing is Silent Night, right? And we'll be reminded of the beauty and the wonder of that first Christmas morning 
and the coming of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, God himself come down to earth. And yet even as we sing and it'll be peaceful and it'll be wonderful, wars will still rage, won't they? Wicked acts will still continue here at home, abroad, all over the place. Yet what we'll be pointed to in that moment is I think the same thing I hope we're pointed to this morning is we're pointing to a great hope amidst it all. A great hope amidst the darkness. Isaiah is prophesying into a very, very dark day. And he's prophesying about the great hope. He's trying to encourage the people to look towards that which is really true. And so he says, verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he was made glorious, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of nations, the people who walked in darkness, they've what? They've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You've multiplied the nations, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Do you hear what's going on? He's saying, yes, the, the darkness is real. And yes, things are bad for Israel and they're going to get worse. The Assyrians are at the gate, almost, if you will. Exile for Israel is imminent. Yes, there has been gloom, as he says. Yes, there's anguish. They've walked in darkness. They've dwelt in a land of deep darkness, he says. But what does he say amidst that? He says there is hope. And he speaks of it as a certain hope. But to them, what does he say? Verse 1, he has made them glorious. He's made glorious the way. In verse 2, they have what? They've, they've seen the great light. To them, the light has shone. And what does he say about the people starting in verse 3? He says they have been multiplied. The people have been multiplied. Their joy has been increased. And all of this, understand what's going on here. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's kind of odd. He speaks of this in the present tense. He's speaking of this to the Israelites as though this is now. Now, what does he mean? Because the light had not yet come in Isaiah's day. What is he doing? Isaiah is speaking of it in this way to help them to understand how certain he is that this is true. How certain this hope is. And to help them to understand that he speaks as though it has already come. As though it is already there. Helping the people to look forward to this great hope, this light that is coming into the world. He wants them to know how certain it truly is. Now we live in a time of darkness, don't we, in so many ways. How do you process that darkness? Maybe you're struggling, even, even this morning, even on Christmas Eve morning, you're, you're struggling. You struggled to even get the whole family together to get here this morning. Maybe you're suffering in some way or another. Your family members are suffering in one way or another. And you wonder, are things really ever going to get any better? Really, are they? Will things ever really change? Life can be so difficult. There's wars raging. Great atrocities committed all over the place. Will anything ever change? And it's into that kind of world. It's into that kind of darkness that Isaiah steps. And he promises no the light will shine and you can be certain of it. You can be certain that the light is coming. And of course, we live on this side of the light actually coming into the world, don't we? 
the New Testament tells about us. We've been reading the Gospel of John. What do we read? In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light has already come into the world. And because the light has come into the world, we can have a sure and a certain hope. If Isaiah was looking forward to it, we can look back. Is Jesus this morning your hope? Is he the one that you find your hope in? Now, now maybe you're here because you kind of have to be here this morning. You know, you're invited by family members or kind of forced in somewhere or another to be here. And you, you, you don't really know that hope that I'm talking about in Christ. But maybe you're searching in some way or another, but certainly you recognize that the solutions that this world has to offer up to the darkness that surrounds us, those solutions, they just don't work, do they? Even if you're not a believer this morning, you you see the darkness around us. You see the atrocities. You see the wars. you, You see things raging. And the world seems to be able to do absolutely nothing about it. They offer up solutions, and they never work. Now, maybe you're also here, and hopefully many of us are here this morning as believers, those who have put their hope in Christ, and yet we struggle too, don't we? We struggle to have real peace amidst it all. Things don't seem to get any better. Well, regardless of where you stand, whether you put your hope in him or not, regardless, Isaiah steps into our troubles this morning, into our struggles. And he announces that, no, the great light has come. He has come into the darkness. And Isaiah is able to say this on like the darkest possible day. You think things are bad now? You should have been there with Isaiah. As he could only look forward to the coming of the light. Now, how can this light be true? How, how does all this come to f- fruition? We, we learn more, verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And here we find out, how, how, can, how can this light come? How does this light enter in? Well, it enters through a great deliverance. It enters through a great victory, one like the victory at Midian. Now, many of us, we may be sitting there thinking, okay, I think I'm supposed to know the answer to this. What's the great video? What's the great victory at Midian? And maybe if I say the name Gideon, maybe it comes a little bit more to fruition in your mind. Remember, 22,000, and God says no, and then there's 10,000 troops, and no, that's too many too, and you get down to like 300 troops to fight the Midianites, and why was that? It was because when they went to battle, Yahweh, God wanted there to be absolutely no doubt. Who was it that was winning this victory? Who was going to win this battle? And so Isaiah points the people, as he points you and I to, that their hope is in their God, who is going to deliver them, who is going to break the yoke of the burden of their oppressor. A warrior who is going to trample the oppressor, he promises. In verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior, of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled up in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And you look at that and your eyes probably cross and you, what in the world is Isaiah saying? Might I say this is incredibly good news, even if you don't see it right off. What are you saying? He's taking up these things that he's talking about that are being thrown into the fire. 
These are examples of implements of war. And he's saying all of those implements of war, they can be thrown into the fire and they can be burned. Why? Because there'll be no need for them again. There will be no more war. There will be no more battles. There's no, no more a need for those implements of war. Why? Why? Because true peace has come. True peace has entered in because of this great victory. Now, we need to make sure that we understand what kind of victory Isaiah is promising here. Now, many of the people today, they heard these words from Isaiah. They're probably thinking a political victory, right? But there's something much more that he has avowed. I love the way one, one commentator puts it this way. It was a spiritual battle. One, because a child would be born. And the victory consisted in the deliverance of God's people from all that had oppressed them. Sin is a burdensome yoke. Don't you know that? For its subjects, man, to a slavery in which, like the beasts of toil, he is under a taskmaster that beats him. There is only one who can set man free from the yoke in which he has been bound. And that one is God. The act of delivering man from sin is a mighty victory. So mighty, in fact that the man could never have won it any more than Gideon unaided could have conquered the Midianites. You know the battle that's being talked about. The, the, the reason why all these implements of war can be thrown away because this one is going to come who is going to win the most crucial battle ever, the battle over sin and death, and will defeat it. And Isaiah goes on to tell us that this hope that, that this spiritual battle is going to be won. It's going to be won by a person. A person with, as he tells us, with many names. Which, of course, some of you know me. That got my brain thinking. Many names. Maybe you've heard some of these. Aloran, Misandral, Sarkin, Akanas. Anybody know who I'm talking about yet? Stormcrow, Laugh Spell. Yeah, everybody just jumps into your mind, right? Who I'm talking about, man of many names. Old gray beard, maybe getting a little closer. The white rider, the gray pilgrim, Graham, Gandalf the gray, Gandalf the wandering wizard. A man in Middle Earth with, or a wizard in Middle Earth with many, many names. Why did he have so many names? Because he was so great and wonderful. Oh, Isaiah tells us about ones far more wonderful than Gandalf with, with, Names that are far superlative to the names given to Gandalf. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He tells us about a child that's going to be born. And, and again, how does he tell us about this child? He talks about it as though this child is already born. That's how confident, that's how certain Isaiah is in the birth of the Messiah, in the birth of the one we know as Jesus Christ. He is that certain about this birth of one who he says is going to be a son. Why a son? Because there needs to be the rightful heir to the throne of David, and thus the government shall be upon his shoulders. This child that's going to be born, the son. Is to be a king, the king, the long-awaited Messiah. And Isaiah tells us through these names 
something of the character, something of, of the attributes, if you will, of this Messiah. So let's think about them quickly. First, wonderful counselor. Wonder counselor. Supernatural counselor. Now, not a counselor like the way we usually think. We hear the word counselor, we think therapist. That's not what's being spoken of here. As he's speaking of wonderful counselor, what is he saying? He's, he's talking about a great king who's going to come, who's going to rule with perfect wisdom. How do we get that? Well, if you're a good king or even a good politician in this day, what do you surround yourself but with wise advisors around you or wise counselors? Now, the amazing thing here is that this one who's described, he's his own wonderful counselor. He doesn't need to be surrounded by other counselors around him. He will rule, and he will rule perfectly because his wisdom is perfect. And this counselor that's talked about, and in this context, it's really like a military strategist to help the king out. Now, to the world, as this king, this wonderful counselor, as he forms his strategy, his military strategy, if you will, the world will look at it and it will scoff and it will laugh at it. Born of a virgin, how foolish. Son of a carpenter from Galilee, really? An itinerant preacher? Rejected by many, rejected by most? Going to the cross, this terrible death. And the world looks at, looks at this wonderful counselor and says, how foolish. How foolish is your strategy? But of course, we know the whole story. This wonderful counselor rose from the dead. Conquering sin and death, ascended to the right hand of the Father where he reigns and where he rules. And from whence he will come again. This morning, do you know your wonderful counselor? Do you know your wonderful counselor who has a winning strategy, whose strategy is winning and will win? And we can even speak of in the same kind of words as Isaiah, it has already won, even though we may not have it in fullness yet. So our wonderful counselor. And our mighty God, our literally, like, hero God. You remember David's mighty men? Why were they mighty men? Because they were heroes who fought boldly in battle and fought alongside him and defended him. And so they were his mighty men. This child, though, will be unlike those mighty men of Scripture, won't he? Because he won't just be mighty men. He will be mighty God, hero God. The, the mighty God, the divine one, come down to earth as this child to fight and to win the battle, to affect the, the strategy, that military strategy of winning, right? This mighty God is a warrior God. Not like a, a king who just sits on his throne and sends out his emissaries to, to go fight his battles. What does he do? He comes down and he fights in hand-to-hand combat if you will, to win, to win his his victory. Do you this morning know your wonderful counselor? 
You're a mighty God who has already come and who has already fought the battle and who has won. You know, this morning, the everlasting Father. The Father of eternity. Now, we, we hear that and we may get a little confused because our mind probably immediately jumps to what? The Trinity, to the Godhead, and we think of the Father, the Son. And, but remember, this isn't talking about that. This is talking about who the Son is and it's calling the Son, the Father, the everlasting Father. Why is that? Well, father is a term sometimes used for a king. You know, think even in Great Britain with the, the previous monarch, with the, with, the, with the queen. Sometimes you would hear people call her mum. Mum. The mother. In a similar way, the, this term is used for father. Why? Because what does a good king do? A good king cares for his people like a father does for his children. A good king isn't after their own self-interests. A good king, a great king, is after the interests of their people and is concerned with them. And this king, this royal father, will not be like all those in the rest of this world that are but temporary. He will rule for eternity. His kingdom will never end. You know your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, your king who will rule forever. His kingdom will be eternal forever. His kingdom will never fade away. And what will he do? He will perfectly care. Perfectly care for his people. You know your mighty God, your everlasting Father. You know the Prince of Peace. This child that's going to be born is going to bring peace. Now, if he's bringing peace, what does that mean exist? It means a war must exist, right? Peace is brought because there is war. And this peace is not a political peace. We already mentioned that earlier. It's not some psychological peace that you and I would just feel better about ourselves. It's a peace with God. A peace between man and God. And where's, what's the only means by which that peace can be brought? Is for the second person of the Trinity to take on a human nature. To not only be fully God, but to be fully man. And so as we know, in the light who has come, in the person of Jesus Christ, who do we have? A great mediator who has brought peace. As the Apostle Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's already come and he's already brought peace. Now we may look at our world, we may look at our own lives and think, well, Sometimes it doesn't feel like much peace has been brought, right? He has brought peace, a true peace that we can experience and that we can know now. But yes, there is more peace to come. We can look forward to that final day that we read about in Revelation where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He brings true peace. Our world tries to offer us peace. Maybe you're even trying to grasp onto it today, Christmas Eve. You know, if everything can go well on Christmas, if we can all as a family just get along, we can just have maybe 36 hours of peace from now through tomorrow night. Maybe things will be okay. And we search for peace in all sorts of ways, don't we? 
And what ends up happening, we grasp onto it, and we think we have it for a moment, then it vanishes. And Isaiah comes to us and he says, let me tell you about true peace. A peace that's everlasting, a peace that never fails. Do you know your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father? Do you know your prince of peace? Your prince of peace who has secured the most costly peace this world has ever known. Peace between God and man. Do you know that peace? Now what's going to be the result of the work? The work of, of this child that is to be born. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Unending peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, in undergrad, I was a history major. And one of the things that was interesting as you study like world history is world history is largely it's a, the story of like one superpower, one super nation after another, right? And what happens to them all? Egypt. Babylon, Assyria, Persia, Greece, Rome, the Mongol Empire, the British Empire. What, what happens? All every, Everybody puts their hope in nations. But what does history tell us? They all fade away. Sometimes abruptly, sometimes gradually. But they all fade away. And it's into that picture that Isaiah steps and he says, let me tell you about a government. Let me tell you about a king that you can put your hope and your trust in. One who will bring eternal peace. One whose kingdom will never come to an end. And of course, we're here this morning because that great king has come. The, the one that Isaiah prophesies about here has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's who we celebrate this day. Now we may look around us, though, at times and wonder, is this kingdom really come? Has it really? Sometimes we look around, is it really come? Is it really here? Is it really growing, as Isaiah promised? We're reminded of the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Mark chapter 16. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, and what did he do? He was seated at the right hand of God, seated on his throne the king rightfully upon his throne in heaven. And in Acts, we pick up and, and read this, being therefore exalted at that right hand, placed on that throne. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, what has he done? He has poured out this, that yourselves are seeing and hearing since his ascension into heaven. What has happened? But the pouring out of his Spirit upon this world so that what might happen, that his kingdom might grow, that his kingdom might multiply and we look forward to that final day, right? When, when that kingdom will, will come in all of its fullness. But, but what Scripture tells us is it's already here. And it's already growing. And Jesus' kingdom will not fail like all those before us. As Isaiah says, what does he say? The zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a guarantee. It's absolute. Martin Lloyd-Jones, some of you may know him, British preacher, he said this. The incarnation, that is, Jesus coming down in the flesh. The incarnation 
is the supreme example of fulfilled prophecy. The supreme example of God's faithfulness to his promises. What God did when he sent his son into the world is an absolute guarantee that he will do everything he has ever promised to do. Look at it in a personal sense. All things work together for good to them that love God. That is a promise. To them, to, to them who are called according to his purposes. But how can I know that that is true for me, asked someone. The answer is in the incarnation and Jesus come down in the flesh. God has given the final proof that all his promises are sure. That he is faithful to do everything he has ever said. So that promise is sure. Whatever your state or condition may be, whatever may happen to you, he has said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. And he will not. He has said so. And we have absolute proof that he fulfills his promises. He does not always do it immediately in the way that we think. No, no. But he does it. And he will never fail to do it. Isaiah tells us about the coming of the great king. We know this morning that this great king has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Yet are you sometimes tempted to believe that this king is failing to do his work. And therefore it's hard to find peace in him. Maybe a better way to put it though is actually the reverse. That maybe you struggle to find peace in Jesus. You struggle like me to do that at times. To find peace in him, joy in him. Well, maybe. It's because behind the scenes really believe his kingdom in one way or another is failing. You're tempted to believe that maybe he's not keeping his promises to you. And you're not quite trusting the promises that he has given. Now we may look around us. We may even look at his kingdom and may think, well, it looks like it's actually like around us. It's receding a bit. And his kingdom's not growing. But of course, if we know the big picture or the big story of what's going on around this globe, what is happening. The gospel is going out to the very ends of the earth. There are more Christians today than there were yesterday. That is a glorious and wonderful thing. More people have access to the gospel than ever before in human history. The gospel is going forth to, to that which he has promised to, to what? To, to every tongue, to every tribe, and to every nation. And it's going forward. His kingdom will not be contained. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he's doing that work? Spreading his kingdom to the very ends of the earth? Do you believe he's doing that? This is a great king who you can trust. A wonderful counselor. A mighty God, an everlasting father. A prince of peace. He's one that we can trust. We celebrate Christmas. We are gathered here this morning. We'll be gathered again this evening. Why? Because we live in a dark world. But the light has come. Unlike Isaiah, we're not looking forward to it. He's already come. But like Isaiah, we are looking for more and longing for that day when more will come. The light has come. The king 
has come. His kingdom has come down to earth and it is growing. And as Isaiah said in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Do you believe it? As we close, let's be reminded of who this is for. We catch it back in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Isaiah speaks of a people, including himself, who will be blessed by this child. It's not just a blessing for Mary. It's not just a a blessing for those with power and prestige. Or a blessing for those who have gotten their whole life together. No, it's it's for us, for the people of God, even for us who struggle. Struggle at times to believe he truly has brought the peace that is promised. It's still for us. So for us today, can we have, can we begin to develop that same kind of certainty that the prophet Isaiah had as he looked forward to the coming of Christ? Can we, can we have that? We have the advantage of being able to look back. We, we, we know about his birth. We know the story of his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We know the story. And we know the story that has played out from then of the gospel exponentially spreading across this globe as he continues to take his kingdom to the very ends of the earth. Jesus has come, and he is bringing light into the darkness. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the great hope has come? Do you believe that he has truly brought peace and will bring it to the full and completion? Let's pray. So, Father, this morning we thank you for the sending of your Son. We thank you for sending the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, would you help us in our our, our cynical hearts and our hard hearts? Would you help us to believe the truth and the wonder that our Savior has come? Would you convince us more and more of the truth of what he has accomplished on our behalf? Help us to know the truth now of the peace that we have now with you if we are in Christ. That there is no more war between us. Father, and let us long 
long for that day when you will bring that peace in all and complete fullness. That day where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, and sin will be no more. That the wars, the battles, and the evil will all be gone. Oh, would you help us to believe and help us to trust that the Messiah truly has come. Help us to truly believe he has accomplished what he has accomplished, what we're reminded of from the words of Isaiah. And help us to celebrate our wonderful Savior this day. We pray this all. In the name of the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.